Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thank you, Noemi. What a great reminder about how just being available and being willing to love our neighbor, uh, what God can do with that. And so, what a great what a great story. Thank you, Noemi, for sharing your North Influencer story with us this morning. Welcome, guys. Great to see you here this morning. How you all doing this morning? Doing good? i got to share this story with you, if you'll let me, just for a few minutes. You know, I woke up this morning, I, I got up early, and I was preparing like I do on a normal Sunday, especially when I'm preaching, and I had all these things on my mind, and so I'm getting up, and I get my cup of coffee, and I looked outside, and I noticed that I had forgotten to turn out the lights outside from last night. My kids were outside playing, and they were swimming, and so we had all our outdoor lights on, and I'd gone to bed uh, without turning the lights on, and so, of course, I'm getting my coffee, and I've got all these things on my mind. I'm concerned about, you know, everything that's going on on Sunday morning, and I'm thinking even about, like, our uh, meeting, our town hall meeting that we've got today. We're going to be talking about the budget and elders, and all these things are on my mind, thinking through how all these things are going to happen on a typical Sunday morning, and then I notice the lights are on. I'm a little bit upset. I'm disappointed myself for forgetting that, and so I go outside, and we've actually, and to turn on the lights that were on in our backyard, like, we've actually got to go into the backyard and flip a switch in the backyard. It's not as simple as just kind of flipping some switch inside, and so I'm going outside, and I go out, and I flip the switch, and I've got my head down. I'm just thinking about all the things that are going on. Turn off the light, and I'm coming back to the house, and I've got my head down, and then for whatever reason, I just happen to look up, and there's a place in our backyard where you can actually see a great angle of four peaks. It's just kind of this view that we have back there, and at that moment, like, the sun hadn't fully come up yet. It was still sunrise. The sun hadn't come above four peaks yet, and I literally stopped in my tracks, and when I say I stopped, like, I'm walking, and I stop, and I look at this, And in that moment, God just interrupts my thoughts, he interrupts my heart, helps me to see and to remember, first of all, that he is the God of creation, right? That he's the God who's in control. He's bringing that sun up as it's rising that morning. And as I'm looking at these beautiful hues of orange and yellow and red, and they're all blending together, he's reminding me of his beauty and his wonderful, and the wonderful nature of who he is and his goodness. And so in that moment, there was kind of this interruption that happened among all the thoughts and things that I had on my mind and that I was thinking about getting done this morning. And God interrupted me by reminding me that this God of the universe, that he is with me this morning. I'm getting a little emotional about all this. I'm sorry. Uh, but, and that he is calling me uh, to be with him as well in the moment. And so whatever encouragement that brings you this morning, like if you're in, just in the moment and you need a holy interruption in your life right now because you're just thinking about all the things that are going on, the things you've got to do today, the things you're going to get to this afternoon, is this guy going to talk a lot this morning? And I am going to talk a lot this morning. That's just kind of what I do. But I also haven't spoken in three weeks, so I got, to, I got a lot to say, so it's going to be even more this week. But, or just like, what's going on this week? Like I got all these things on my mind. Or just in the moment, you're really struggling with things. Just remember this. We pray, ask that God would bring a holy interruption for you this morning to remind you that he is with you and that you are with the God of the universe and that's exactly where you need to be. And with that in mind, I want to open us in prayer this morning. Father, I I thank you for your goodness among us. I thank you for your presence with us. That is truly new every day. Lord, not only your blessings, but your presence, your reminder, Lord, that you are with us. Would you interrupt our thoughts? Would you interrupt our hearts where they need to be interrupted? And would you remind us that we are with you this morning. As we uh, get into your word this morning, Lord, would you give us enlightenment? Would you help us to see more about who you are and more about what it means uh, to love you? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are continuing in our series called Lessons from the Living Room. And if you've been with us, you know that we're talking through some of these big picture questions that really all of us as human beings have. 
Just by the nature of being human and living in this world, there are certain questions that really pop into mind as far as the questions of the big things that we experience, the big things that we go through in life. And we've been talking about these questions as the types of questions that might kind of lend themselves to discussions that you have with close family members or friends in a living room or around a dinner table, for example. They're those kinds of discussions that you really get into that are kind of the deep issues of life. So far, we've talked about things like the stories that we live out of and how to find purpose in our lives, how to fight the battles that we face, how to get victory over those things. And last week, Wes talked about how to get along with other people in our lives. You know, today, I think we have a really interesting question that we're going to be exploring, uh, a question that I think in many ways is behind a lot of those kinds of discussions that we have around the dinner table or in the living room when we really get into the nitty-gritty of what's going on in our lives. And the question is this, how do we fix what is broken? And I realize that may seem like a little bit of a strange question, you probably, and it's probably because we don't phrase it necessarily that way when we talk about these kinds of subjects. I think many ways we don't even really use the word broken, maybe. Broken is more of kind of like how, broken, we sense the broken things in our lives by the way typically we respond to them. In other words, when it would come to like a living room discussion, for example, with a friend or family member, these might be the things that we complain about. These might be the things that we worry about. Maybe the things that we pray about. Certainly the things that we might ask other people to pray about on our behalf. These are the things that we get frustrated about or even angry about. Maybe the things that cause us even to get to a place of breaking down in tears because we're so broken about what's going on. Maybe the things that keep us up at night. These are the things that we know that are broken. They aren't right. They need fixing. We might not know exactly how to fix them, but there's a sense to where we know that they're broken and that they need to be fixed somehow. And as I say that this morning, what kinds of things come to mind for you? What are the things right now that you are feeling are broken? Where do you feel brokenness in and around you? Is it a strained relationship? Maybe it's financial stress. Maybe it's a difficult boss or a difficult situation at work. Maybe uh, an illness in your family. Maybe it's loneliness or depression or addiction. Maybe it's a personal health issue that you're facing in your life. How about if we just zoom out a little bit? There are plenty of things in the world that we can say are broken. I mean, just look at the headlines this morning. The war in Ukraine, the economy, political, ongoing political division in our nation, social unrest, injustices of every time, fracturing of communities and families and churches, all those things that are constantly going on and swirling around, swirling on around us, things that we know and we see are broken and need to be fixed. These are the kinds of things that dominate the headlines, and they're often the kinds of things that are right below the surface of our concerns and our worries, our doubts, maybe even the conversations and the discussions that we have with our friends. We all know the world has all kinds of proposed solutions to these issues that we face, don't we? I mean, turn on a news channel, a podcast, Google search it, right? And you'll get some kind of an answer that comes back to you. An article on five ways to fix your marriage. Maybe a political think piece on how a policy or a politician will solve all of our problems. An app that'll help you lose weight, save money, and train your dog all in one. Be great if there was one that did all that, right? I got like seven apps that just address those things. Now, all those things can be useful, right? And there's all these proposed solutions that we can just have right at our fingertips. But the question is, do those things live up to what they promise? And how do you know the difference? 
I don't think I need to break down the fact that there's more expert information out there in our world maybe than there ever has been. And it's, again, it's all at our fingertips. But at the same time, even though it addresses every little ailment and problem we face, we could argue that we are more broken than we ever have been. At least it feels that way at times, doesn't it? So is there another way? I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was someone who was wise and all-knowing? Someone who was looking out for us, who cares about all the stuff that we are facing down to the littlest detail of our lives. Maybe someone who knows how it all works because he created all of it. Wouldn't it be better if this, wouldn't it be great if this someone not only knew the answers, but that he loved us enough that he didn't want us to be confused or fearful or anxious about these things, and so he actually gives us the answers by telling us where to go and where to find them. And wouldn't it be great if he could just communicate all that to us? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Of course, you know where I'm going with this. We believe in a God who is all of those things and who has done all of those things who has told us the answer to these kinds of things. How do we fix the broken things, right? And as we look at God's word, one of the things we've been looking at through this series is the difference between the way the world answers certain big questions and the way that God answers these questions. And so we're going to be looking today at how God answers the question through his word, how do we fix the broken things? So here we go. First, I want to begin by saying I have a confession to make, right? The question for today, as I've phrased it, is a bit misleading, at least in terms of how we find the real answer. Let's put that question back up there. How do we fix what is broken? And here are two big reasons why it's misleading as we leave it up there. First, we shouldn't start with the broken things to find the answer. And secondly, we can't fix what is broken, right? Just remember those two things. We're going to talk about those two things as we continue on. First, let's address the first thing I said there, we don't start with the broken things to find the answer. I think this seems like it might be a little counterintuitive because it's certainly the brokenness that gets our attention, right? I mean, we rarely think about how important our health is until we get sick. We take unity for granted until division happens. We take a healthy relationship for granted until something happens to that relationship that makes it unhealthy or that fractures it in some way. Our job might just be a job until we don't have a job anymore, and then it becomes a huge problem, a broken thing. And that distinct sense of brokenness that we feel comes from an understanding that something is supposed to be whole, that there's a, a sense of wholeness that we are feeling is actually broken. And so we don't start with the broken things to find the answer. I'm going to show you a picture of this. Let's put that next picture up here. Now, what do you see in that picture? Hopefully you're thinking to yourself, I see a pottery shard, a piece of pottery, because that, that's what it is. Now, if I asked you, uh, to tell me what the, what the pot or the bowl looks like that this pottery shard ca came from, uh, could you be able to explain it to me just by looking at this broken piece of pottery? Well, you might be able to say, well, it was just from looking at that piece, like it was white, maybe it had some kind of blue design to it. But there are certainly things that you can't say about it. It would be impossible for you to say whether this came from a pot or a bowl or some other kind of container because you've never seen the whole picture of what it looks like. You know, so many times in our lives, we look at the broken things in our lives without understanding how it's supposed to fit into the whole picture. And the great thing about God's word is that God gives us the whole thing. In other words, what it's supposed to look like complete together in our lives. The Bible actually has a word for this and an idea for us. It's, it's communicated by the word shalom. And it's a Hebrew word. Maybe you've heard this word before. It's a hugely significant word in the Hebrew language. In fact, it's so significant 
that Jewish people throughout history actually greet one another and say goodbye to one another by using the word shalom. And since it's a greeting, and since we're going to be talking about it a lot today, let's, would you say the word shalom with me? Let's say shalom. Ready? Shalom. Shalom. It just, yeah, there you go. It makes you feel, does it just make you feel good to say that word shalom? And this word shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. Now, in our Bibles, it's often translated as the word peace. I think right now is probably a good time to say that many times our, our, English, our modern English translations let us down in terms of capturing the full word from, like, the original language. And I think shalom is one of those examples because shalom is more than just peace. It's more than just a sense of peace. It's more than just an absence of conflict. It's more than just kind of, like, peace and quiet and calmness. Shalom is referring to nothing more, I guess the simplest way to explain it, is, is nothing less than everything in creation the way that it's supposed to be. It's wholeness. It's well-being. You know, we just went through uh, the book of Revelation, and we saw Jesus say that he was making all things new at the end of that book. I mean, all things means all things, and shalom means all things being the way that they were created to be. All things fully whole. Tim Keller defines shalom this way. He says, Shalom experienced is multidimensional, complete well-being. It's physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from one's relationships being put right with God within oneself and with others. You should notice that Keller talks about biblical shalom as being multidimensional. That there are many parts to this. And God recognizes that as human beings we are somewhat complex creatures in the sense that there are certain aspects and dimensions to our lives. And this wholeness, this idea of shalom, is what communicates the wholeness being brought together. I sometimes think about it in terms of, I was thinking about it this week, like in terms of fountain imagery. Um, have you guys seen like a multi, we've all seen a multi-tiered fountain before, right? And in the Bible, I think as we look, we can see that there are at least four dimensions of shalom in our lives. And they relate to kind of the way that these things play out in our lives. If you look at the fountain there, right, you see the fountainhead and then you see three different tiers. And we all understand how a fountain like this works, right? Out of the fountainhead, the water pours out, out of the top, and then it goes down into each tier that's below it. Now, when the Bible talks about shalom, it addresses at least four areas. It addresses our peace with God, peace with others, or I should say peace with self is second, peace with others, and then peace with the world. And so if you're thinking about it from a fountain imagery, the peace with God is basically the fountainhead of shalom. It's the thing that matters the most. It's, from, it's, it's the place where shalom, our spiritual peace, kind of overflows into the other areas of our lives. And as the fountainhead kind of, you know, as the water comes out of the fountainhead, then it pours into the first tier, which is the peace with self. And then from there, it pours into the second tier with its peace with others. And then finally into the third tier, which is peace with the world. Now, you can think about it this way. Peace with God is basically spiritual shalom. It's spiritual wholeness. Peace with self involves things like emotional, physical, kind of material wholeness. So everything that's kind of involved with uh, ourselves and who we are and our person and our health and that kind of thing. Mental health, emotional health, physical health. Peace with others is relational health. It's relational shalom and wholeness. And then peace with the world is like, is social uh, shalom. It's, it's how I love my neighbor. It's how my community is doing uh, in terms of its wholeness together. 
And the one thing I think we see from this kind of rather comprehensive understanding of shalom is how important all of these things are in terms of how interrelated they are. And first of all, how the hierarchy works. In other words, our peace and our spiritual shalom with God overflows into other areas of our life, which then continues to overflow. And the order of this is intentional because each thing influences the next. So in the Bible then, the Bible presents this kind of reality for us, all of us as human beings. That every single one of us is on a journey to find shalom. No matter who we are as human beings. We may not call it this, but this is the Bible's way of saying this is kind of what we're all searching for. And so in our lives, there's this realization that we all need shalom. And in so, in so, so to some degree, everything that we do as human beings is related to seeking shalom in one way or another. It's either spiritual shalom or emotional shalom, relational shalom, social shalom, whatever it may be. And when we feel the brokenness, we're feeling a brokenness in one of those areas of our lives that's alerting us to something that is not whole, something that is broken. Now in the Bible, this experience is so universal for human beings that it's assumed that we're all on a constant journey to find this. The difference for each person is how we decide we're going to set out to find this. And there's really two ways that are presented. It's not nearly this cut and dry all the time in our lives, but in the Bible there are two different ways that we can seek out and find shalom. We either pursue it according to the world, and we pursue it according to kind of manufacturing our own shalom, or we pursue it through God. Which brings us to the second point about brokenness from earlier. We can't fix the broken things ourselves. Now we see there's a lot of different ways throughout Scripture that these two ways are contrasted. Finding shalom on our own through the world, or finding our shalom as something that is received from God. And we could look at a lot of different ways. I want to look at a couple of places that clearly contrast these two options. The first one I want to look at is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is an example of what it looks like to pursue and try to make shalom on our own in the world. And so if you aren't familiar with the setting here, in 1 Samuel 8, the nation of Israel is at a place where they've been established as a nation. They've been given God's law. God says, here is the land, you are a nation. And one of the big things about understanding this passage is that God himself has made himself their king. So God says to them, here's my law. I will be your king. You don't need a human king because I'm your king. And he puts a prophet in, the, in place as his spokesperson, as his mouthpiece. The prophet's not a king. He just basically speaks God's words for God on behalf of God to his people. Right, and so they've got God's law, and then they've got the prophet to come along and remind them of God's law, and then remind them of how God is guiding them forward as a nation. Now at this point in 1 Samuel 8, Samuel is the prophet over Israel. And at the beginning of this chapter, we're going to read it here in a minute, what we see is that the people come to Samuel, and they say, look, this whole arrangement with God being our king, we don't want this, we don't want this anymore. We want a human king just like every other nation on the earth has one. They all have human kings. We don't have a human king, and we want one just like they have one. Now, one thing you need to understand is the reason why God established this the way that he did, at least one of the reasons, was not only for Israel's shalom and their benefit, but also for the benefit of the other nations. It was designed to be a witness to the other nations so that all these other nations who had human kings would look at Israel, they would see Israel prospering, and they would ask the question, well, how is Israel doing this? They don't even have a human king. And, of course, that would speak to the evidence of Yahweh as the only true God. The God of Israel is the only true God. And so when the people come to Samuel and they say, 
we want a human king, it's more than just them kind of keeping up with the Egyptian Joneses, right? It's more than just saying, like, they got a new car in their driveway, and we want a new car in our driveway. They got a new shiny human king, and we want a new shiny human king as well. It's actually the people saying, we are rejecting the complete will of God, the plan, the purpose, and the mission of God among us so that we can pursue shalom this way. We want a human king. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, there's actually three parts to this scene. And the first part of this scene, I'm going to read here in verse 4. It's the people's request to Samuel, and then we see Samuel's reaction to this, and we see God's reaction as well with this conversation that goes on between Samuel and God. In, cha- and in chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came back to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now, as the people come to make this request to Samuel, you see Samuel's immediate response is to get furious because he understands exactly what the people are doing. They're throwing off the complete will and purpose and mission that God has given Israel. And they're seeking this shalom, this wholeness, a whole other way. They believe a human king is going to bring that to them, where God, and God won't, right? And their rejection is ultimately a rejection of God. Now, what God gets to is a little deeper level of this. He actually cuts to the spiritual piece of all of this, right? The fountainhead, if you will, of all of this. And he says to them, look, Samuel, I understand you're upset. Here's the real reason behind why they're doing what they're doing, though. They have rejected me as king. And then he gets all the way down to verse 8 and he says, they have forsook me, they are forsaking me and serving other gods. In other words, there is idolatry that is going on in their hearts and that's what has caused them to react the way that they have. Going back to the fountainhead imagery, it's their broken relationship with God. It's that spiritual shalom that's been broken. It's the idolatry that then pours out into other areas of their life and their community that's now coming home to roost. You see the brokenness because of what God calls out. It's the hearts of the people. First thing to break down was their spiritual relationship with God. And then the scene continues. We're going to read the second part here. This is what God tells Samuel to do. Now he tells tells Samuel essentially they have the choice in this. They can choose to do this if they want. But what I want you to do before they make the final decision is go back to them and tell them exactly what will happen if they enlist a human king, if they bring a human king. These are the results of what is going to happen. Now, I'm going to read from verses 9 to 22, and as I do, the words will be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible or your app. What I want you to do is count how many, wor- how many times the word take is used in reference to the human king, okay? So then, God responds this way. In verse 9, God says, Now then, obey their voice. Only use shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told them all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. 
He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officials and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now, did you count the takes? How many did you get? Six, right? There's six takes. It's almost repeated ad nauseum over and over again. It's almost like God is saying, okay, you can have a human king, but just know this. The human, the, the, more than anything, the human king is going to take, 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 take. He'll take your sons and daughters. He'll take your fields. He'll take your provisions. He'll even take, eventually, your freedom. This is the nature of a human king. And in the bigger picture, this is a picture of what happens when we try to to make shalom out of this world. It all gets twisted. What is up is down. What is right is wrong. What is good is bad. What you actually think you're getting is actually being taken from you. Here the people are thinking a human king is our solution. He's going to give us shalom, and God says no. He's going to take shalom from you at every turn because that's the nature of what this is. And there's a lot of personal responsibility attached to this as well. Notice in verse 18, God says, look, this is your king who you have chosen for yourselves. It's repeated over and over again. Just so you know, this is your way of doing it. I had a way that I provided for you. I had shalom prepared for you as my people, and this is your way of seeking it out. And look what it's going to lead to. Now, of course, at this point, when the people hear this, I mean, they've got to be moved, right? When they hear God say, this is all the things that are going to happen to you, they have to change their minds. Because this is bad, right? I mean, the the God of the universe has told you this is exactly where it's going. It's going to break so much that you're going to get, one day you're going to get to the point where you're just going to cry out that I would reverse this decision that you've made. After knowing where it all ends up, of course the people change their mind, right? Right? Well, the third scene, verse 19, we see the people's response. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, that there shall be a king over us, that we will be like all the other nations. Oh boy. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Man, after all of that warning about, from God himself about the brokenness that would come, the king who's going to take everything you have, the people still decide, no, we want a human king. And as you read the story, you think to yourself, and as the scene plays out, you think to yourself, how could they get to a place where they are okay with this? Where this is just fine? Well, they reveal their motivation just as God revealed their heart condition before, they reveal it in their own words. They say in verse 20 that we may be like all the other nations. This is more than just, again, saying we want to be like those who have the human king because we like that model and we feel like that model is going to work best for us. What is actually being said here is that their spiritual allegiance, their hearts have been given over to the gods of the other nations. 
that idolatry has already taken root. And even though they hear God's words, they've long since stopped, they have, they, have, they have long ago stopped listening to the words of God. And so even when God speaks all these warnings to them, it's like it's falling on completely deaf ears because their hearts have already been taken far away from him. And if you're familiar with the rest of the story of Israel, they do get human kings, and these human kings are mostly terrible. <laughs> they do the exact things that God says that they're going to do until they get to a place in Israel's history where they actually are conquered by other nations, they're destroyed by other nations, and they're led off to exile. Literally getting to a place where they call out to God to deliver them, just as he said that they would. Now, of course, this is easy for us to look at thousands of years later and say we would totally act differently than that, of course, right? Until we realize how alike, how much alike we are the Israelites as well, how much in common we have with them. And so with that incident fresh on our minds, it's a great reminder and a great encouragement to know that there is another way. And I want to take you to another place in God's Word as we finish this morning that contrasts the way of shalom in this world with the way of shalom that we receive from God. And this comes from looking at another king, King Jesus, from a place in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Now I want you to remember, of course, that God has just described in 1 Samuel 8, the human king as the one who will take, take, take. He will take and break shalom. Now compare this to what is said about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5, I'm going to read through verse 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father." And what do you notice here? An immediate contrast to how the human king is described in, in 1 Samuel 8. And one of the things you notice right off the bat is that where the human king was a taker who took everything and broke the shalom of the people, right? Jesus is a giver. Where the human king takes and takes and takes, Jesus here humbles himself so that he can give and give and give, giving to the very point of death, giving his very life on the cross. In fact, the only thing that it says here that he takes is that he takes on the humble form of a servant so that he can give to the very point of death. Right? And, and notice that Jesus gives so that he can make true shalom for us. So when it comes down to the choice again, it's a choice between two kings and two kingdoms. Two ways, two types of making what we believe is shalom and what we understand that we're searching for. How do we respond to the broken things. It's either trying to make it on our own and trying to make it out of this world or receiving the shalom that has been won for us on our behalf by Jesus. As king, Jesus freely gives this shalom to us. And most of you are probably familiar with this phrase from John chapter 14. But Jesus says this to his disciples on the last night that he is with his disciples in the upper room. This is part of the four, what we know as the farewell discourse 
When Jesus is telling his disciples, I have to leave you now, I'm going to be arrested and crucified. And as part of this, he says this in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I remember the first time that I realized exactly what Jesus was saying here when he said peace. And I I kind of substituted the word shalom for that word peace. Because, of course, as Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, he's probably speaking Hebrew to his Jewish disciples as they're in a room together, and he would have used that word shalom. So shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. Wholeness, redemption, salvation, reconciliation. I give to you. And I don't give to you as the world gives, so don't go looking for it out there because I've given it to you. And he's foreshadowing what will happen the next day as he goes to the cross and he wins peace, wholeness, redemption, shalom on their behalf. I used to read this as Jesus just saying to the disciples, look, I know you're scared, so I'm going to give you some peace. Here's a little bit of godly peace. You can be calm and relaxed and don't panic as I get arrested and I go to the cross. There's certainly a part of that in there. But what he's saying more is that I go to bring wholeness and shalom and to redeem you and to bring you back into reconciliation with your creator. My shalom I give to you. This is one of the most significant places that we see Jesus talk about the shalom that he gives. And I think we see at least three things that's true about shalom as it comes to us through Jesus. First of all, shalom is an invitation. You know, when Jesus says this to his disciples here, my peace I give to you, he is inviting the disciples to trust him. He's saying, look, there's a million other ways in the world that the world claims to give shalom. But I'm going to tell you this, my shalom is the one that actually will save you. Again, this is more than Jesus just saying, I come to give you calmness and quiet and a sense of peace. He is saying, my completeness, my wholeness, my full redemption, I give to you. Secondly, shalom is a gift. You know, Jesus has made peace for us so that he can give it to us. You know, sin breaks shalom. Sin in every level of our lives breaks shalom. It breaks and pollutes our relationship with God. It breaks our relationships with others. It breaks our relationships even within, or our our shalom within ourselves. It breaks our communities and our family relationships and our friendships. Sin is the great breaker of shalom. But it's through the cross that Jesus made peace to heal all of those broken places where sin has done its damage. Colossians 1.20, listen to what Paul says. Through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making shalom, peace or shalom, by the blood of his cross. It's through the shalom of the cross that Jesus has done this, that he's reconciled all things so that then it can be given to us as a gift and received by faith. And then finally, shalom is a calling. And when Paul says that Jesus made peace, we need to notice that this is an action word, right? Jesus went and he made peace. Uh, Sometimes we think about peace as kind of just being passive. You just kind of roll over and let things kind of roll over you and you just want to be a peaceful person so you don't want to cause like you know conflict and we shouldn't be causing unnecessary conflict but at the same time understanding that peace is a calling being a peacemaker when jesus says blessed are the peacemakers he's calling all of those who would follow him to be active in making shalom in the world what he's essentially saying is you are shalom carriers out into the world you carry my peace 
where I send you into the world. This is the mission of the peacemaker. And so we're called to be peacemakers in the world with the mission of God. And what does that mean? It means loving God by loving our neighbor and bringing shalom to every situation that needs it. I mean, think about all these aspects of shalom to, pr- to promote the well-being of our neighbors, the well-being in relationships that we have. I mean, peacemakers don't wallow in brokenness. If you have an understanding of what it means to bring shalom to those things, you'll see brokenness from a different lens. Because brokenness is an opportunity to bring shalom to those places wherever they may be broken. We ask the question, how do we fix the the things that are broken today? And the answer is, of course, it's not us that fixes those broken things, but we do have a role in bringing the shalom of Jesus to those broken things. If you st- I mean, how would things change if you started to look at every broken thing in your life, every broken thing you experience, every broken thing in someone else's life that you experience, not as something to be angry about or bitter about or fearful about or judgmental about, but as opportunities for the shalom of Jesus to save it. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. It's active. It's engaged in the world. Start spiritually with your relationship with God. What does the fountainhead look like for you right now? If your fellowship with God or your lack of fellowship, how how is that filling out into the rest of your life? Where are those spots where the Spirit is revealing to you that He wants to bring you into closer relationship with Jesus and He wants to bring shalom to those broken places in your relationship with God? How about emotionally or in your life? Right? Where is bitterness or anger or depression taking a hold of you? And how can you allow the shalom of Jesus to heal those places? Where might you need to get help or healing? Where might you need to kind of bring support from other people in your life so that you can rely on other peacemakers to help you bring peace to some emotional or mental health that you're struggling with? How about relationally? Where are your relationships broken and where do they need to be made whole? Even in those relationships and those fractures and gaps in your relationships that aren't even your fault. Where can you bring shalom to those places so that they can be healed? How can you make steps to mend broken relationships with the love and forgiveness of Jesus? And then finally, how about socially? Where can you love your neighbor better and more fully? You know, we, uh, I don't have to tell you that we are in a social and political climate where everyone is so scared and angry and divided that all we're doing is seeming to look out for ourselves and our self-interests. But how can Jesus' people, how can peacemakers be different and really follow Jesus by being givers rather than takers in how we engage the world around us? Look, you don't need to make shalom. It's already been made for you by Jesus. And he wants to give it to you. You just need to receive it. And we need to be receiving this invitation constantly with every day that comes. And if you're asking yourself, what does this look like practically, I want to leave you with this one thought. Maybe this week you start out each day by hearing the invitation of shalom for Jesus and let that invitation just guide your day. So again, I want to repeat this from John chapter 14, verse 27. And think about it just in terms of Jesus saying this to you with each day that you wake up. Maybe this is the thing when you wake up in the morning, I'm going to remember the words of Jesus from this every day this week. See what it does? If it works, keep it going, whatever it may be. But it says this. I want to remind you what Jesus says. This is the invitation. Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. 
So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And maybe as you allow those words to wash over you, to guide your day, to give you perspective in the day that you're facing, you respond to God in prayer in some way, however it moves you. That's easy. That's like five, ten minutes in the morning. But I think if we do that, it changes our perspective on everything. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning that you are not a God who's distant, who leaves us in our brokenness, but you're a God who sees every tear that we cry, every piece of hair that falls off our heads, which for some of us is more than others right now, but Lord, you see everything that we struggle with. You see the hurt and the pain, and Lord, you give us your peace. It's more than just kind of calming us down emotionally from what we're experiencing, but Lord, it's this big idea that we've been talking about, about shalom that just kind of, that, that, that gives us an understanding of where you are taking everything. And Lord, although we may not see the full results of it in this world, Lord, we are promised that you love us, that you are with us, and that you are bringing wholeness out of brokenness. And so I pray for us this morning, Lord, that we would allow the invitation of Jesus to be received by faith in our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would expose all the different ways. This is never cut and dry in every single one of our hearts. And every one of our hearts, there's some mixture of us looking for shalom in the world versus receiving it from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would faithfully, as you do, just reveal that in our hearts. And Lord, the reason you do that is for our good. And it's because you love us. You help us to see the ways that we are headed towards danger, the ways that we are in places that are causing broken shalom to just be all over our lives. And you come to us and say, my shalom I give to you. Come and receive it. I don't give as the world gives. So Lord, I pray for the faith that we would have to, to, to understand that and to receive it by faith. Help us to see you, Lord. Help us to see your goodness. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be like the Israelites who long ago tuned out the voice of God so that even when you warn us and even when you are direct with us and even when we encounter your word, we still can't hear it for what it is. Lord, soften our hearts so that we can receive your words as life to our souls. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Thanks again for joining us this morning. Thanks for joining us online. I want to remind you of a couple of things that we want to make sure that we're aware of. First of all, in a few minutes or so, we're going to begin our um, town hall meeting where we're going to talk about the upcoming budget for this year. You know, churches, our fiscal year runs from July to July, and so we're about to get into our next fiscal year, the coming year. So we're going to talk about the budget for that fiscal year. We're going to talk about some exciting things regarding our elder team. We have 
four new elders that we're voting on, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Then we're also going to talk about uh, some, issues, some things with the bylaws and revisions we've made there. And so that's a place to go and to listen to uh, what we have to present to you about those things and then ask any questions that you may have. Uh, we're going to meet in the 4-5 room, which is the room that's right on the other side of this wall right here, in about five minutes or so, and then we'll continue meeting uh, throughout the time during bo- between both services. Big thing to remember for next week uh, is that we are going to one service starting next Sunday, and this is going to continue all the way through the end of July. The first Sunday in August will be our kickoff Sunday, and we'll go back to two services. But throughout the entire summer, so starting to our next Sunday, I should say, Memorial Day weekend and continuing all the way through the summer, we're going to one service at 10 a.m., And so if you show up for the 9 a.m. service, you'll have more time to eat donuts, I guess, but we're not going to start until 10 a.m., and so just make sure that you make note of that. We'll have one service together, and look, one of the great things about having one service together, you've experienced this when we've done our baptism services, there's so much energy. You get a chance to see people, maybe, if you're a first service service person, and you haven't seen a lot of the second service people a lot, you get a chance to reunite with them and kind of worship all together. So we're looking forward to enjoying that time uh, during our summer services uh, these next few months. And uh, finally, if you need prayer as, as you're leaving out here this, this morning, the Hallmans, uh, Dana and Doreen, are going to be our prayer partners. They'd be happy to pray with you as we leave here this morning. Or if you need prayer uh, uh, throughout the week and you want to just kind of write it on a card, we have cards that you can write up your prayer requests on and then drop them in the offering stands as you leave here uh, this morning, and we'll make sure that they get to the right team so that we are praying with you over those things that you're dealing with either in your life, a family member's life, or whatever it may be, right? It's a part of lifting one another up and encouraging one another uh, to see God's presence and, and God working in our lives, okay? So, again, great to see all of you here this morning. Don't forget to join us for the town hall meeting. Love you guys. May the peace of God be with you as you leave this place. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.